I know that Advent is new uh, for uh, a lot of folks that have grown up here at Bowling Green Christian Church. How many of you, I'm just just informal poll, how many of you have celebrated Advent someplace before? Okay, yeah, a lot, a lot of you have, I know. Uh, real popular, yeah, we did celebrate it in the church I, I grew up in. Um, and I've wanted to celebrate it here for quite some time, but last year I read an article uh, by Eric Metaxas uh, that really inspired me to... Uh, to try to make sure we got to it this year. Uh, he said this. He said that we've got too much Christmas and not enough Advent. Uh, he, he writes, uh, he says, even before Thanksgiving, Christmas songs blare from our radios, catalogs arrive even earlier, department store Christmas trees often go up right after Halloween, and after weeks of carols and cookies and parties, Christmas arrives as an afterthought. Not the fulfillment, but only the end of a long Yule season. Christmas lacks meaning without the penitential season of Advent to go before it. This is why Advent celebrations, both at home and in churches, focus on scriptures that anticipate the coming of Christ. In Micah we read, But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. And in Matthew, Joseph is told that Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Things like Advent calendars and creches that remain empty until Christmas Eve give a shape to the anticipation of the season. And the season of contrition and sacrifice prepares us to understand and feel something about just how great the gift is when at last the day itself arrives. And that is my prayer and hope for our Advent celebration here that it would make us even hungrier for the day when we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ as a man uh, in Bethlehem so many years ago. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll get uh, started this morning with uh, our message. God, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this season we anticipate his coming. Uh, we look forward to that day when we will celebrate um, his birth but God, this season also reminds us to look forward, to anticipate, and to prepare ourselves and our hearts and our minds for the time when He will come back to take us to be with Him uh, and to be with you forever. It's in His name we ask all of these things. Amen. So how many of you almost didn't come to church today, no showing of hands, because the weather was so awfully nice on a winter December day? I, there's a couple nodding of heads. We appreciate your honesty. I mean, seriously, the sun was out. It's going to dry it out. If it had been drier, I know some of you wouldn't have made it. I know. I know. You can tell me. Um, it's true. The weather's beautiful right now. Uh, it's been cold. It's been wet. It's been rainy. And anytime you get sunshine in the winter, it's good for your soul to be outside and to enjoy some of that sun. Uh, I don't know what it is about the winter, but it can be a little depressing. You, you lose about an entire hour of daylight. I, I think it's really depressing when you get up in the morning and it's dark, and you come home from work and it's dark, and so like it's pretty much always dark. That's just really, it doesn't do much for most people's psyche. Uh, that's why we like those spring days and those long summer days, because it's bright and it's light. And there's something about the light that's good for us. It's, uh, scientists say something about vitamin D. Our body makes vitamin D. Vitamin D is supposed to be good for all sorts of stuff. It helps with inflammation. It says it can help with heart disease. I wrote down some of these things here. Um, lowers high blood pressure. It helps your muscles. It improves brain function. And it might even protect against cancer and dementia. There you go. 
So sunshine is good. It is shown to decrease depression. Uh, A lot of good things there. So when the sun shines, we want to go outside. We want to not be cooped up in a building. We want to go out where we can enjoy that. And there's something in us that connects the sun with happiness. Uh, If somebody is in a really good mood, what do we say? We say, that person is all sunshine. They're just full of sunshine today. But if that person's in a bad mood, you don't want to go by them. Why? Because they're, they're in a stormy mood. It's in the language we use. There's something about weather and our attitude. Uh, it, it's, it's something I don't even know that we're taught. Uh, kids, if, if they're drawing a picture and they're drawing a picture of people, if they're happy, guess what? There's a sun drawn in the picture. If they're having a bad day, if they're sad, what do they do? They've got rain clouds in there, and the sun is absent. We have this connection with light and with happiness and with darkness and sadness. And, and I would love to tell you that you know, we can always have 100% sunny days, but that's just not life. We all face dark times in our life. That's just how it is. And I don't know what kind of year you've had. Maybe it's been a really great year for you. I hope it's been a really great year for you. I think about my year. It's been a pretty good year for me and for our family. It's been a pretty good year. And I hope that's true for you. But I know it's not true for everybody. I know that, you know, in this last year, perhaps you've you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost a parent or somebody you love. Uh, Maybe you've gone through a divorce. I don't know what's happened for you this year, but maybe this year's been a really hard time. And this season of light and, and, you know, lighting the candles and the lights all over the place, maybe it just seems to make you feel even darker inside. That's, That's a real possibility. Maybe right now you're facing a crisis. Maybe it's not something you went through, but it's something you're going through right now. Maybe you're facing a financial crisis or a relationship crisis or a midlife crisis. I don't know what you're facing. But the good news is this, is that Christmas, it's for everybody. Uh, Christmas was born in the midst of crisis. As a matter of fact, Christmas was just a giant crisis after another. You've got um, a giant tax bill that comes due for the entire nation. That's a crisis, friends. You've got an unplanned pregnancy. This is a a crisis. You've got to move from from one place to another. Moving is said to be one of the top stressors any human being can ever face. And if you've ever loaded up a U-Haul, you know this is true. It's stressful. So you just got crisis after crisis after crisis, and that's what Christmas is about. And it's something about crisis. I don't know if it's just misery loves company, but it seems that crisis begets crisis. It creates more crisis. Or to stick with our weather analogy, when it rains, it pours. And perhaps you find yourself there. And and often what happens is we get into these crises, whether it's a financial crisis or personal crisis or whatever, and it leads us to a faith crisis. And we start to to question the goodness of God, and we start to question, you know, is God even there, and what is his involvement, and do I really still believe in him? This is a real place to be. And perhaps you're here this morning because, well, you're not even entirely sure why you're here. Maybe you're here because you hope that there's something in the church, there's something in Scripture, there's something in the celebration of Jesus that might give a little bit of hope in your time of crisis. Friends, we all go through it. Even the very faithful, most faithful people go through it. 
Uh, there's a story told of a, of a reporter who was assigned to the Jerusalem Bureau of their news agency. And uh, she took an apartment out looking over the western wall, that wailing wall where all the Jewish, devout Jewish folks go and they pray. And she said that there was something that she just caught her eye. There was this old man that came out there. He looked about as old as the city itself, and he would just go, and he would pray every morning. She'd, she'd see him out there. She'd have her you know, breakfast, and she could see him, and then she'd you know, maybe come back for lunch, and he would be there praying. And, and this went on day after day after day for weeks, months, it turns into. And then eventually she bumps into this guy as he's leaving that area, and she just asks him. She said, "What you know, I see you down here all the time praying. What... Tell me about that. And he said, I've been coming here for 25 years praying every day. He said, when I get up in the morning, I go and I pray first thing for, uh, for the brotherhood of humanity and for peace to come to our world. And then I, I have lunch and I come back. And in the afternoon, I pray for the eradication of all disease from the world. And she said, what does it feel like to be so faithful and to pray every day like that? And he said, it feels like I'm talking to a wall. And friends, we've all been there where we have these moments of prayer and we pray to God and we're like, God, would you hear me? And it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the walls or they're bouncing off the ceiling and it leads us to a place of despair and hopelessness. And as we go through these dark times, we all try to make sense of it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, there's a lot of approaches. One of them is to just say, I don't care. I'm going to stop caring. This is not too far from the, the uh, Buddhist ideal, uh, sort of a nihilistic viewpoint of dealing with despair. Uh, Buddhism says, you know, he, he's got four noble truths, and here's noble truth number one is this, is to live is to suffer. That's just it. This truth number one. To live is to suffer. And, and you can work your way through all of them, but eventually you get to the last one, and he says this. He says you can get rid, this is the third one actually, he says you can get rid of suffering by getting rid of desire. If you could get rid of desire, then you could get rid of suffering. In other words, if you didn't care, you wouldn't suffer. Uh, a lot of uh, Buddhist practitioners will tell you this. It's, it's kind of like, imagine you've got your phone here, you know, and we've all dropped it, but at one point in time, we're going to have the drop. You know what I mean? The drop where it doesn't recover, okay? It lands on a rock just like, right, you know, the case wasn't all together, and it's going to be in a thousand pieces, and we're all going to be mad about that, right? God, figures, you know, I just got this one, you know, and now I'm going to have to pay, you know, through the nose to upgrade it or, you know, whatever. We have this moment of anger, you know, maybe your kid bumps it out of your hand, or maybe you blame the kid for bumping it out of your hand, but it was totally your fault. I mean, we've all, we've all been there, um, you know, and so that's what happens, and sort of the Buddhist ideal says this, is, well, you know, if you just recognize that your phone's already broken, you know, you can be at peace. And then that way, when it breaks, you're just like, well, I already knew that. It was already broken. And every day you have with your phone, it's even better. It's sweeter because it's one more day with your broken phone. Now, you know, let's be honest. That's maybe not a bad way to look at life and to look at your phone and to look at, you know, glassware and those kinds of things. You know, that maybe isn't a bad approach. You have a little bit of detachment and say, you know what, this is all transient, it's going to go. There's, there's, there's maybe even some compatibility with the teachings of Jesus there. But it's not any way to approach people. It's just not. There, there's no sense to come to a person and to say, you know what, we're already enemies but let's, you know, pretend to be friends for a little while. You know, eventually we're going to end up hating each other. But, you know, every day that we're at least friends and kind of nice, you know, it's going to be something. You know, I've never, I've done lots of weddings. I've never married a couple where they started by saying, you know what, we're already divorced. 
You know, we just know that we're already divorced, so every day that we're living together sort of civilly, you know, it's good. That's not the way we approach people. It's, it's just not the way we approach life. This, this nihilistic view, it's not going to get us really anywhere we want to go. And it's, it's here that the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Christianity, I think that really stand out in stark contrast to this. Because Christianity would say this, that the best way to deal with despair, the darkness of despair, is to come towards the light of hope. Now, yes, it's risky. I get that. Because if you hope, that means you start to care again, and it means you could be disappointed one more time. Yeah, I got that part. That's why the author of Lamentations, what did he say? He said, I call this to mind, and I dare to have hope. Hope is a bit of a dare. But it's a dare I think we've all got to accept Yes, you might be disappointed, but aren't you disappointed already? Wouldn't it be better to have a flicker of hope and say, I think it could get better? Hope is incredibly powerful. We don't think much about hope often. Let's just spend a little bit of time here, just just a few minutes, and think about how powerful hope is. Let's say you have a rotten day today. Let's say it all goes bad. Let's say you have a terrible week this week. Let's say tomorrow you go to work and you get fired. I hope that doesn't happen. And you're getting ready to leave and you've told everybody off and then your car's got a flat tire. And so, you know, you're going to go have to call the tow truck but because you're flat in the back. You know, that thing, that's not been ever filled up with air. So you're going to have to have somebody come and help you. You're going to make a call on your cell phone, but you drop it. And so it's broken. So you got to go back into the place that just fired you from. And you're going to have to ask them to use the phone to call somebody. And then let's say you get home and your dog's died. I mean, let's just let's have a horrible day. What are you going to do the next morning? Why are you going to get out of bed? Because you hope that it's going to be different than the day before. If you've ever had a bad day and you got out of bed the next morning, you got out of bed because of hope. You hoped that today would be better than yesterday. Hope is incredibly powerful. Hope is what causes you to introduce yourself to another person. You go and you shake somebody's hand and you give them your name and you ask for their name because you hope that you will have a good friendship. You might introduce yourself to somebody that you find attractive because you hope that they also find you attractive and that perhaps you will have a relationship. Hope moves us to this, friends. Just the word hope is powerful. It was a successful slogan for Barack Obama twice. Hope is so very powerful. It's the fuel that powers comeback. It's the fuel that powers you to come back and try it again, whether it's in your business or with your spouse or with your friends or with your kids. Guess what? Without the fuel of hope, new businesses don't start. Nobody starts a business and goes, you know, I just, it's already failed. I'm already bankrupt. Every day, though, with it is going to be a little bit better. No, you're hopeful. You say, this is going to be a success. Friends, hope is what causes new relationship to form, new relationships to form. Hope is what causes second chances to be given. Hope is what causes us to give forgiveness to somebody else. I know that it feels safer sometimes to eliminate desire, to get rid of hope, to numb ourselves into some sort of state of nothingness. Yet there's something in us, maybe it's a childlike faith, maybe it's the very flicker of hope that God has put in us that wakes us up 
and says, I think that there's something better out there. One of my favorite parables that's been written sort of in modern times is by uh, Henry Nouwen in his book, Our Greatest Gift. He, he imagines uh, hopefulness uh, in the womb of this mother who is carrying twins. You've got a brother and a sister. And he imagines a conversation, and it goes like this. He says, the sister said to the brother, I believe there is life after birth. And her brother protested vehemently. He said, no, 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 this is all that there is. This is a dark and cozy place, and all we've got to do is hold to that cord that keeps us alive and feeds us. But the little girl, she insisted, she said, no, there must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else, a place with light where there's freedom to move. But she couldn't convince her twin brother. After some silence, uh, she said hesitantly, she said, I've got something else to say, and I don't think you're going to like it either. She said, but I think there's a mother. And her brother became furious. A mother, he shouted. What are you talking about? I've never seen a mother, and neither have you. Who put that idea in your head? As I told you, this place is all we have. Why do you always want more? This is not such a bad place. After all, we've got all we need. Why shouldn't you be content? The sister was a little overwhelmed by her brother's response, but she didn't have anybody else to talk to, and so she couldn't keep it to herself, and she said, you know, you feel those painful squeezes sometimes. They're quite unpleasant, sometimes painful. Yes, he answered, what's special about that? Well, the sister said, I think that these squeezes are there to get us ready for another place, much more beautiful than this, where we will see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? Friends, I think that's where we are. We find ourselves waiting, often in dark places. The question is, will we wait with hope? Are we going to allow it to empower us to wait with expectation for something better? Kids are really good at this. A man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon. He asked the boy in the dugout what the score was because the board had been turned off, and he said, it's 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the man said, wow, you must be really uh, discouraged. And the boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. I mean, there's always hope, friends. There's always hope. And I get that it feels naive, and I get that it feels childish, but what is the alternative? What are you going to do with despair? Where are you going to navigate to in darkness? You might be here this morning, and you might be down, but you are not out. Your relationships might be in the shambles, but God loves you. Your portfolio might be in the toilet, but your inheritance is in heaven. Friends, there's plenty of reason to hope. This Christmas, we are celebrating a greater comeback than a little league baseball game. We are celebrating the greatest comeback of all time. God coming back as a man in Jesus Christ for us. We're celebrating Jesus Christ coming back from the dead to give us life. And we're looking forward to the comeback where Jesus is going to come back and take us to be with him forever. Friends, our hope is in Christ who is the light of God. And it's God's light of hope that's going to lead us to him. Uh, the book of Psalms has got a lot of really, really interesting pairings. Uh, psalms that have been put together. You know, the book was arranged by different people, and they put songs sort of next to each other for different reasons. We don't always know why, but one of the most interesting ones is in Psalm 22 and 23. You've got them right next to each other. 
Uh, Here's how Psalm 22 goes. It says this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Friends, this is a real place. You've either been there, you are there, or you will be there, where you say, God, where are you? What's going on? Why aren't you paying attention? Do you listen? Do you care? The amazing thing about all this is as David writes this, as he wonders about the existence and love of God, he cries out to God because there's something in him, a flicker of hope that tells him that God is listening and that God cares. Which is why you just go down, you know, really a space in the Bible and you end up in Psalm 23. And here's what Psalm 23 says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, other translations say the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 22, 23, they both are real psalms going through, you know, a real person. Psalm 22 is in the darkest valley. It is in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where Psalm 22 is being written. Psalm 23 is being written after the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist has come out of that valley, and as he looks back at that valley, he says, you know what made me get through was you, God. I followed your light of hope. It was your rod and your staff. That's what kept me safe. I don't have to be afraid of evil because you are with me. The difference between Psalm 22 and 23 isn't that it's a different person, and it's not that it's a different God. It's just a different time and place. Psalm 22 is a dark and stormy day. Psalm 23 is a sunny day. It is a bright day. And the good news is is that the sun shines even when it rains. And with hope, we can still have light in the darkest times. We can always follow God's light of hope. A preacher I knew had uh, spent some time living in Arizona. And as he was there in Arizona, he uh, you know, met a lot of different people. And this particular city wasn't all that unlike Bowling Green, where half the people weren't from there. Everybody moved to this town. And, and so as he was in a coffee shop one day, uh, he runs into this family, and he can kind of tell that they're not from around there. And so he asks them, he says, where are you guys from? And they said, well, we're from Seattle. You know, that's where we lived before here. And so he asked the, the logical question. He says, well, what caused you to move here to Arizona? And the wife said this. She said, we moved here to save my life. And you can't leave that, you know, without a follow-up question. And so he said, well, tell me about that. What do you mean you moved here to save your life? And she said, well, we lived in Seattle, and, and we had lived there for a little while, and, and I just noticed that I didn't have any energy, and it was harder and harder and harder for me every day to get out of bed. And she said, I didn't find enjoyment in life, and I was depressed, and I started having really, really dark thoughts about my life. And she said, we'd been to a couple doctors, and finally it was a psychiatrist who said, you know, what you have is seasonal affective disorder. He said, everybody's got a little bit of it. He said, maybe. He said, but you've got a really, really bad case. He said, unless you have some sunshine, he said, you're always going to be like this. 
And so when they figured that out, she came home and told her husband, and they said, well, we've got to move to the sunniest place we can find. And so they wanted to move south because the further south you move, you get more sunlight. Uh, Arizona got an hour more sunlight just per day because of its location on the globe uh, than Seattle, uh, not, not even counting for rain. And so they moved there. And they said, you know, after we moved here, it's been amazing. It's actually changed my life. It's been a lot better. I've got more energy, and my, play, my mind doesn't go to these dark places anymore. And, and friends, you know, I know that we don't all struggle with anything maybe quite that severe. Maybe some of you do. But we all need some sunshine. We all need a little bit of it. We all need a day like today. And just like our bodies always need that, our souls need hope. Hope is the light that keeps us going. It's what helps us to get out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps us moving forward, even in dark times. And so this morning, uh, as we do every morning, we're going to sing a song of decision. And if you've got a decision to receive Christ and to accept His light, we're going to invite you to come forward. But we're going to do something else today. In that back corner over there, we've got, uh, we're calling it the prayer corner. We're going to have a couple people over there that would love to pray with you. Because I know that some of you have come here this morning and you've got like zero hope right now. Your hope tank is running on empty. And I'd love for you, if you need that, to be able to go and pray with somebody that would be back there and help you to discover the hope that God has. Uh, others of you, perhaps, you're full of hope this morning. And you came here and you're just soaring and you're super high and that is awesome. And I want to give you a special challenge this week. If you're full of hope this morning, I want you to think about somebody that needs a little bit of that. And I want you to just make a mental note or, or maybe even just take a note in your phone or write it down someplace that you're going to share that hope with somebody this week. And you can do that you know, by sending a card to somebody that you know that's kind of in a, a bad spot, had a rough year. Call them, invite them out to lunch. Uh, send them a text, say, I'm praying for you. Just do something that would allow you to share the hope that you have. That's your challenge. But if you're here this morning and you need a, a dose of hope, we've got some folks that want to share that with you in that corner. Uh, we're going to do that as we sing this song. Uh, so let's just take this time. We're going to celebrate the hope that we can have in Christ. Why don't you go ahead and stand as we do that?